as a founder and as a writer, I had learned the power of letting go and passing along and delegating even big moments like that. And leveraging your team of contributors that you've created to scale the business. I think this is a learning lesson for all entrepreneurs, not just those that own media companies, that sometimes you need to get out of the way and do less in order to do more and allow your company to scale. And you need to let go in order to do that because eventually you want your team to be doing these things, not necessarily you because you're only one person. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She made the Forbes USA list in 2017 for the media category. She is the CEO of Her Agenda, a digital media platform for millennial women. The site provides access to content and community that gives millennial women access to information and inspiration to help them get started or to move to the next level of their career. She won an Emmy Award while she was a field producer with NBC New York and received an award by the New York Association of Black Journalists. She was also named one of 50 founders to watch by Essence Magazine and was one of the people to know by BET. Please welcome my very special guest, Ranisha Bing. Hello, how are you? I'm excited. Excited to have you here, Anisha. I'm so glad we get to reconnect. Welcome to the show. I'm honored and privileged to have you here. Ranisha and I were lucky enough to meet in Israel at one of our Forbes events and have since uh, come across our paths at other Forbes events. Forbes does it big. They do not hold back at these events and brings inspiring, intelligent, ambitious, and compassionate individuals together on a regular basis. So selfishly, like I was mentioning earlier, I am so glad we get to uh, have a reason and excuse for me to be able to connect with you and reconnect with the Forbes members. And Ranisha, before we dive into things, where were you when you found out you made the Forbes list? Oh my goodness. I love <laughs> telling this story because, okay, Rewind 2016 was trash. It was literally the worst year for me not so much professionally. Professionally, it was starting to, to pick up a bit. Um, but personally, it was really, really hard, really tough. And um, as you know, when you're going through personal things, it affects your professional and vice versa. So January 2017, the first working day of the year, I think it was around January 3rd-ish, something like that, 4th, 5th. And it was, a, I think, a Monday. And I slept in a little bit to be honest with you, because it, I'm still coming off that holiday sluggishness, laziness a little bit. And I wake up, my phone is blowing up. This is around like nine o'clock in the morning. 
and I look at Twitter and someone tweeted me, congrats on making Forbes 30. So I literally found out from a tweet from someone else who saw it on the website because Forbes, as you know, they don't let you know if you're on the list until they publish it. So you literally have to wake up at 6 a.m. and go on the website to see if your name is there. But it's luckily, a nail-biting moment. It is, I mean, it's liberating though once you find out and it's validating because you're like, oh, I'm not the only one that thinks this is a good idea. Apparently, exactly. I'm getting recognition from others too. Exactly. And it was huge for me as a founder because I didn't raise venture capital money. I was bootstrapped. So for me, it was very important to strengthen my social capital and visibility to make sure that I had access to any and all opportunities because I didn't have the money to, you know, buy my way in. I didn't have the money to hire a robust, huge team. But if I could just get in front of people or let people know that I existed, I knew it would open the door for many, many opportunities, which it did. I empathize with that. And I admire you for the laudable work you did to bootstrap it because I also bootstrapped it in the early stages. So I totally empathize with that. And who was the first person you shared it with when you found out the news? So this is something I always share with, especially young people in this social media age that we're in. I didn't actually update my social media to announce it until maybe the evening, five, six o'clock, because I'd spent all day emailing my past mentors, emailing organizations and groups that I was, was part of. I'm a posse scholar, so I got a full tuition scholarship to attend DePaul University, which is a small liberal arts school in Indiana. It's a very great, great school. Great school. And I took the time to email those groups. I also emailed my school because I wanted to thank them. They poured into me, and so I wanted to show them that you know, it was for a reason that there's you a focused on board. You focused on giving back first and letting the people know like, hey, thank you for helping me get exactly. to where I am now. Exactly. That's very so, selfless of you. There were so many emails I had to send. I literally looked up and it was five, six o'clock before I got a chance to post on it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually still to this day don't know who nominated us. And um, oh, I have a similar approach. I, it was a professor. He texted me. He goes, go look on Facebook. I had no idea what he was talking about. And that's how I found out. Seems like social media is the common thread here amongst yeah. Forbes members finding out. That is amazing that you don't know who nominated you. I Still to this day. People and there's so many different stories about how you got nominated. But I was shocked to learn that some people actually had their PR people pitch them for it. I didn't even know that that was a possibility. There, there you go. Hey, Anisha and her agenda might be uh, up there next. <laughs> so before we dive into how it works, take us back to the very beginning, you know, where you're from, where you grew up and the path that led you to where you are now, ultimately making it to the Forbes list. Yeah, man. Um, it's funny when you read my bio, you say all these other media platforms. I have been featured, I feel like on every platform except for Forbes until I got to the Forbes 30 under 30. It's the creme but de la creme. That's like the, once you hit there, you're like, okay, I've made it. <laughs> yeah. Don't need to do any other press. <laughs> Um, but let's see, where did it start? I'm from New York, um, Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. And I guess my story really starts when I was 16. I discovered journalism. So I grew up uh, always being called nosy, always loving to read. I taught myself how to read when I was four years old before I even went to school. And 
I never wow. really thought of those things as anything special. Like people would tell me, oh, you're smart. Oh, you're gifted. I was in a gifted school when I was a kid. But to me, it was just something that came natural. I never thought I could turn it into a career. And it was a journalism teacher that pulled me to the side and said, you're actually good at this journalism thing. You should consider joining the school newspaper. I was not interested whatsoever. He had to really convince me because I did not want to stay after school. And <laughs> and I had been in the building since eight o'clock that morning. Why would I want to volunteer my time to stay longer? But I actually finally went and this, and it really just hit me. This is a career that allows me to be the first to know something, that allows me to be at the, on the front lines of information and to sit down and ask people questions and talk to people, which is something that I do naturally and then write about it. And that's all I have to do is write about it. And I get all this exclusive info. So that to me just set off a spark. I literally hit the ground running. I started my professional journalism career essentially at 16. Because I live in the media capital of the world, I took advantage of that. And also the time period really helped. It was 2005. It was essentially the beginning of the internet like we know it today. There was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, it only, MySpace was new. And there was this new thing called a blog that no one really understood what that was. So I was in a workshop, a journalism workshop for high school students that allowed us to create our own blogs on blogger.com. Created this blog and even beyond the workshop, I kept updating. I updated my daily life. Like, this is what I did today. This is who I saw. And I also put my interviews up there in addition to joining other student publications. So literally by the time I got to college, I had bylines under my belt from places like AOL, from my own publications, from other places. And I had maybe 20, 30 mentors um, who were editors and producers at different news media organizations. Was there someone that you looked up to specifically that you were kind of modeling your behavior after? I know as an aspiring entrepreneur, you know, some of the people you look up to might be like an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg or a Bill Gates. Was there someone in journalism that really caught your eye as someone you wanted to embody or emulate? Definitely. But, you know, I hate saying it because it's so cliche, but it's Oprah. Oh, Oprah's one of mine, too. And she started out as a journalist and eventually owned her own company. And that to me was a powerful path. I never thought that I would own my company so early in my career. I was definitely planning to go into journalism, be an editor maybe at a magazine or a producer at a TV show, then work my way to being on air. And once I had enough money and maybe a reputation in the industry, I would launch something that was my own or take over what it, or whatever it is that I was hosting. Like if I hosted a show, I would try to buy the show from the network, something like that. But I ended up getting into entrepreneurship early. But honestly, if you know anyone who's a journalist or you, you've kind of gotten into the journalism thing now with this podcast, a lot of the skills for journalism are skills that are essential for entrepreneurship. You have to not be afraid to talk to people you don't know. You have to be able to research rigorously and thoroughly to find the information you need. No one hands you anything. There's a formula, there's a structure, there's a format, 
but it's up to you to hustle to figure it out and get the information you need and connect those dots. Yeah, so, you definitely can't accept no for an answer. And you have to hustle, you have to be savvy, you have to be creative and tactful about how you approach things. You have to be creative. And that's part of being an entrepreneur is solving problems in a creative way that other people haven't done before. Yeah. So, and I totally empathize with the Oprah thing. I, I've always looked up to her, her story coming from nothing to where she is now. And then one of my favorite interviews of all time is when she interviewed Pharrell and mm. he's crying on, Oh, he's like, I can't believe I'm crying on Oprah. Yeah. The thing <laughs> that I know exactly yeah. the interview you're talking about. The thing I loved about that interview is how much he talked about his team and his team was essentially all women. And I was, and he just went on about how women are the future and invest in women. And I was like, I need to get in touch with Pharrell. I haven't gotten in touch with him yet, but it's going to happen. Hey, Pharrell, if you're listening, you know, this is your opportunity to get in with her agenda. Um, and I empathize with that too, but he, I love how he spoke about when you create something bigger than yourself mm, and, mm. and that it takes its own identity at that point where it's so big, it becomes a movement. And with his song, Happy, it really did where other people were starting to create on top of his original song and create their own music videos around the world. And then, you know, I was lucky enough to witness the power of a woman firsthand because of me being an early childhood education, which is how I made the Forbes list with Tembo. The investment you make in a female's education versus a male's, the return on investment is much higher for a woman. She, and they even have performed studies and I've shared these on Facebook too, because it's, it's profound and you know them, but for the audience listening, I'll have to share them in the show notes because they're just astounding. And the, when a woman is invested in, she returns the investment on her community and they spend like, don't quote me on the exact number, but it's like 75% of their money goes back into the community. And whereas if a man is invested in, it's like 75% of the money goes to himself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so, right. Exactly right. I need to take you everywhere because you know, all the, all of the data. And honestly, it's so frustrating that this is the data. This is, it's proven that the numbers don't lie. pays off in multiple ways. And yet, and still here we are still fighting for equal pay, equal rights, equal opportunity to be even considered for investment. It's really frustrating. But the thing that keep me going is going back to what you said about the idea that it's bigger than me. And I can't let my emotions and feelings stop me from pushing forward and keeping going. And honestly, even if I thought for a second to stop, I always get some type of sign, an email, a text, an opportunity that comes across my desk that shows me, okay, we see you, the universe is responding and you need to keep going. Yeah, it's kind of like your story of how things you said were going down. Um, just how you were feeling. And then boom, you get the Forbes acceptance and it's uplifting and, and it's validating and, and it gives you that extra juice, that extra boost to go to the next level and take on the next chapter, next obstacle, next challenge. And, you know, you're a testament to that. And just like Oprah was an inspiration and is an inspiration for many other people, you're an inspiration for not only, you know, women, but I'm sure men as well and people that want to be in the journalism field. So, what advice would you give someone that is maybe 
was in your shoes early on and is listening right now and they're wondering, you know, I want to pursue journalism and I just don't know where to start. What would you recommend knowing what you know now? I would say get as much experience as possible. A lot of people, when they, they discover they want to tell stories and be a journalist, I see that their first instinct is usually to start their own thing. And I think that there is great value, obviously, in starting your own thing, but you don't want to reinvent the wheel or duplicate something that already exists. But search to see what's out there and what you can join so that you can learn, make mistakes, and build a reputation and build a circle of advisors around you so that when you do go out and launch your own thing, you have that reputation, those connections, those relationships that will allow you to create something that adds value versus adding noise to the space. Um, and something else to really consider spending a lot of time on is just training. Pointer Institute has a lot of training for journalists. Um, you can find journalism professors on Twitter, follow them, um, because the craft of journalism is really dying. And a lot of that is because people think that they can just get by by just, you know, skimming or reproducing content published someplace else and not checking the facts. So it's truly important to invest in training and also get as much, much experience as possible under people that have a greater experience than you. So have. maybe work for others first, get the skills, build the acumen. And then when you're ready, you go out and maybe start your own. And what was that transition for you? That moment when you decided, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to start my own media company, my own media platform. And this is the intersection I'm going to focus on. Well, the decision was partially made for me, but I had always been preparing for it to happen. So I started her agenda in college my sophomore year. But while I was building her agenda, I was still freelancing and working at other media companies. I was a paid intern at NBC Universal. So I went there every summer in the newsroom and kind of like just got experience, worked my way up a bit. When I graduated, I ended up working there as an associate producer. So at the end of the term there, they tried to figure out what to do with me because I knew how to shoot video, I knew how to write scripts, I knew how to do everything. And they wanted to put me on the assignment desk, which is a great position, but it wasn't a great position for me. And I know the, the career trajectory for an, uh, an assignment editor, and that's not something that I wanted to pursue. So I decided I'm young. I was 22, maybe 23 at the time. And I was still living at home with my parents. So I didn't have a lot of responsibility. It was a lot of overhead. And I said, you know, I'm going to just try this thing. I'm going to try to make it on my own. I built her agenda now for two years at that point. And I'm going to try to figure it out and see if I can make something work. Ended up failing, didn't make it work. I ended up going back into the media industry, but only for a brief period and it was very strategic. I went back to work at the Huffington Post, which was a digital media company. I had never worked at a digital media company at that scale before. I worked at a TV station. I worked at um, another digital media company, but they had limited resources. It was Black-owned and a lot of Black-owned media. Unfortunately, they're under-resourced and underfunded. But Huffington Post had just got acquired by AOL. 
And shortly after that, there was an investment from Verizon. So I was able to see what does that look like in real time and as an employee there. So worked there for a few months. And then after that, they wanted to promote me, couldn't promote me because I already have my own website, Conflict of Interest. And so I had to make another decision. I decided to go with her agenda. So there's that. So you were at a crossroads of, you know, do I choose safety, security with this big time company, or do I take the risk and venture out on my own? And you had the confidence in yourself to do that. Exactly. It it was hard. It was a lot of tears and just uncertainty and having to prove to my parents that I would be okay. But it all ended up working out. I literally lived off savings for a year. I had enough savings to live on. I didn't make money the first year at all. Um, but I was building social capital. I did a bunch of events for my company. We did about an event maybe every month, a panel, and that helped us to build our audience grassroots style and also build um, credibility in the space because of the type of speakers we would bring. And again, the timing, we were sort of ahead of our time. This was 2015. Now, well, in, back in 2019, you know, when before Corona, when the world was normal, there was like a panel every day, every week. But at, in 2015, it would, it, you would only see panels at big conferences. You wouldn't really see a lot of one-off panels like after work. And that's what we did. I love that. And what, where were the, what was the institute you said is good training for you know, building these skills, the Joiner Institute? Pointer. Pointer so Institute. Pointer with the Y, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. All right, we'll put that in the show notes for those listening that want to touch up their skills. And, you know, what I've been doing is studying like a Barbara Walters, Oprah, uh, Howard Stern, Joe Rogan, some of these big time interviewers. I mean, look at Joe Rogan just landed the $100 million deal with Spotify to move his podcast over from YouTube to Spotify. So it seems like journalism is maybe making that transition back into um, the real world and the mainstream where yeah. people are now having their own voice, their own platform or a different platform than maybe the mainstream media offers. Have you been able to take advantage of some of that? And what do you foresee for the future for this? I do think that finally that the public and especially I would say the tech industry because they have the most resources to invest into media startups. They're finally seeing the value of a media company. When I first started Her Agenda in 2008 and said that I was starting a media company, they wouldn't even really let me call it a startup. They were like, what is this? This is a blog. Like, this is not a company. I'm like, no, this is a media platform. This is new media. <laughs> but you now to educate I think, them and sell them. Yeah. Now because of platforms like Buzzfeed and the success of it and how it grew and scaled, they could see, okay, media companies could scale because that was the biggest argument is that it, it can't scale. You can't scale a media company. And Unfortunately, I wasn't the right person to, to, to convince them, but other people managed to convince them. And honestly, I think everything happens for a reason because at least I still have 100% control over my company. And primarily what we rely on to grow and innovate and bring money in is um, relationships with brands. So a lot of brands now 
are interested in working with diverse media platforms, which is really great. And so it's helped me a lot with um, just pushing through partnerships quicker and closing deals faster. That's really it. And now you have all these relationships and who's been maybe your proudest interview or person or brand you've worked with so far that you really are just amazed by or proud of and can pat yourself on the back for? Well, I will go back to just an early time in the, in the company history. In 2013, we landed an interview with a big journalist. Her name is Soledad O'Brien. And she is known as a producer and anchor for places like CNN. Now she has her own production company where she sells docu-series to different networks and things of that nature. But she was like my, like the Oprah to me, like if I had got an interview with Oprah. And when I got that opportunity, instead of me doing the interview myself, I was learning how to delegate, how, how to delegate and share big opportunities like that with my contributors and my network that I had built a contributor network. And mostly I would do the big name interviews, but I said, you know, I need to start to step away so I can focus on the business and make money and pay these writers so they can do this stuff and get this opportunity because I didn't have a lot of money to pay them big bucks. So I thought, you know, a way for me to give back to them is giving them the opportunity to sit down with someone like Soledad. So that to me was a big turning point in the company and everything went great. She loved being a She's on Twitter now, and it just—it's been so many ripple effects from that, and that's just like one example of, you know, when as a founder and as a writer, I had learned the power of letting go and passing along and delegating, even big moments like that. And leveraging your team of contributors that you've created to scale the business. I think this is a learning lesson for all entrepreneurs, not just those that own media companies. That sometimes you need to get out of the way and do less in order to do more and allow your company to scale. And you need to let go in order to do that because eventually you want your team to be doing these things, not necessarily you because you're only one person and it won't be able to scale and grow to the size that maybe you want it to, if you're always the one in charge of everything and doing everything. But it sounds like you, you were able to do that at, at such an early age. I mean, this is an inspiring story. And what do you think, thinking about your success, what do you think was the single most important attribute, Ranisha, that got you to where you are today? Um, I just showed up. I would relentlessly research things and I showed up to everything. When I first started, I went to every conference, every panel. Um, If they told me I couldn't be there, I would finesse finesse, finesse, and figure out a way to get it done. There's a story, I had a celebrity interview one time, and I did it over the phone. My mentor set it up for me. This is the first time I ever did a celebrity interview. And then I looked up on TRL that they were going to be on TRL that week. I was one of those kids, actually, that went to TRL after school, and I would be in the audience a lot. So I was there so much. The security guy knew me, and the producers knew me. So I said, oh, my God. If I go to the TRL building the day that they're Ranisha, making we, we just lost you right there. You said uh, you we, – we can, we can edit this part, but you said – I heard you say uh, – I used to be the kid going up to the 
yeah. to the TRL and, and the executives knew me. And then what? Okay. So I used to be the teenager that would go to TRL after school. So the producers knew me, the security guy knew me. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to go up there and try to do an in-person interview to get some color for my story. And that had already, I had already done the interview. So I emailed the publicist and he's like, well, you know, I don't know, it's not my building. So I don't know if I can get you in. And I said, okay, well, we'll see. And I literally emailed him like, I'm in the lobby. And the security person said, who are you waiting for? I'm like, oh, this person is supposed to come get me. He came downstairs, brought me up. I was backstage at TRL because I just went in like I belonged there. Wow. I what I was talking about. I had the right names. And that's really gotten me into a lot of places and a lot of doors and helped me to build what I think is the most important thing. Aside from that, aside from getting myself in the room, is the relationships that I've been able to build and a lot of the people that I met along the way are now in decision-making positions and positions of power. And they remember that I've always been this person that's focused and that is about her business and is not afraid to hustle and get it done. And to me, that's natural. Like I said, it's a natural part of who I am and what I do. And as I've grown and, and seen a lot of different types of people in the world, I've noticed that some people don't have that hustle or that uh, integrity to complete something. Like you'll send them something and you'll never hear from them again. And it's like, did you do anything with that information I sent you? you but have the... stuff like following up and actually mm -hmm. following through is so important. And it allowed me to build this strong network and these relationships with people where if I haven't spoken to someone in five years and I reach out to them, I... 99% will get a response positive. I believe it. I believe it. And I mean, half the battle is just showing up, like you said. So I echo that showing up, being present and being assertive. And you had the confidence and the drive and the passion and the ambition to even take that risk, go in there, act like you own the place and, and, and know your worth and know that you deserve to be there. And you weren't going to take no for an answer. And a lot of people, I think, especially women, maybe not have not had that assertiveness or the confidence. And you and I were just talking about this, um, you know, how the same position at a company in, in, in employment, typically the, the woman is paid less than the man, even though they're doing the same duties and roles and, and it's the same title. And I looked into this, we know the statistics, the numbers are there. And Adam Grant, the famous professor from Wharton, University of Pennsylvania, looked into this. He wanted to understand why. And he found that the, the number one most impactful variable for contributing to longer term wealth and, and salary within a company, within your career as an employee, is your starting salary and your initial starting salary. So he looked into, well, what could be the difference in your initial starting salary? And he found that men negotiate their initial starting salary 57% of the time and women only 7% of the time. So he went on to help women become more assertive, learn negotiation tactics on how to, to pop properly negotiate your initial starting salary, which I know you already know these statistics, but I think it's so important for women to have access to resources like yours, where you provide this content for not only motivation and inspiration, but tactical action items they can check off their list in order to make sure they're doing the right things at the right time with the right people.
Yeah. And it's a combination of reasons why that happens. One of it, one of them is just lack of access to mentors, because who is going to tell you that you're allowed to negotiate? The job is not going to tell you, oh, this is what we're offering to begin with. But if you don't like that number, you know, let us know a better number that works for you. They don't do that. (laughs) And so lack of mentorship is a big reason why that happens. And so that's why we started a private community. It's called Her Agenda Insiders. And our readers can essentially opt into this paid network is a value add item that we have where it allows you to get access to peer mentors. And so if you get a job offer and you're like, hey, I just got a job offer from XYZ company. This is the offer. What do you all think? And you get to in real time bounce ideas off of other people, work on what you should say, what your script is, because a lot of it is just not even knowing what to say or how to phrase it. Um, That really plays a big role. What's also important to note is that a lot of states are recognizing that this is an issue that really has a ripple effect, just that starting salary and how it impacts the next job and ultimately your, uh, your, your salary across your career. So they're passing laws that make it illegal now for employers to ask what your salary history is. Because often they base the salary based off of what you made at the previous job. Mm -hmm. That's smart. And I love that you've created like your own little private board of advisors, your own private inner circle where you can you know, bounce ideas off of each other or look to someone that maybe a, a few years ahead of you, but has gone through the similar, a similar path at an earlier age. How do you get access to that? How do they apply if they're listening right now and they want to join? Go to heragenda.com. There's a button right on the top right that says subscribe. Click on that and it leads you to an application that allows you to submit to be a member of this community. Boom. There you go. And, you know, thinking about the success and, and, on the flip side, what about lessons that maybe, what do you think is your biggest lesson, Ranisha, during your journey, knowing what you know now that you wish you had learned from sooner? Wow, that's a good question. Lesson, the biggest lesson? That maybe you wish you had learned from sooner, that you now know. Hmm. The biggest lesson that I wish that I learned sooner was to build my team earlier. I am a solo founder. So the first three years of the company, it was literally me doing everything. And I got lucky because I was so active on social media that people came to me and said, hey, I want to write, I want to do this. So it wasn't as if I said, I'm going to hire a contributor now and put a link out. It literally was just people seeing that this existed and it seemed like it was just me. So let me just raise my hand and see if she needs some help over here. So I would have been a little bit more intentional about doing that sooner and actually asking for it and setting my criteria um, versus like letting it happen, just. Especially if you're a sole founder, because it's being an entrepreneur is already a lonely world. And then having to be a sole founder is also hard. I, you know, I was lucky I had co-founders, but I can't imagine having to endure that up yeah. and down ebb and flow in the early stages of building a company. So I, I commend you for that. Has pros and cons. The, the co-founder thing is a whole other. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you got a <laughs> team dynamics is a whole nother discussion, which we could talk about. But 
I mean, speaking of people that were on your team, um, when you think of maybe the most pivotal people in your life to help you get to where you are now, who was your coach, your mentor, those most pivotal people? Um, I would say the most pivotal, I can't even talk. I would say the most pivotal person early in my life is a woman named Ty Beauchamp. She's also a journalist turned entrepreneur. And she always says she's an accident, accidental entrepreneur. She never really wanted to be an entrepreneur. But she's someone who I met when I was, again, 16. She was 26 at the time, an editor at a magazine, and didn't really know me from anything. But she literally looked at me and she said, you are equipped. You have everything you need to do what you need to do. And manifest your purpose and she was like giving me Oprah energy <laughs> and pouring into me so much and I never had that before so that was just really pivotal another person that is really powerful in my life I call her like my career fairy god mom is a woman named Rachel Sklar she started a network called The List which is a community of powerful women in tech and media and that has been sort of like my secret weapon and how I get to um, get into these rooms that I never would have been in and get access to opportunities to grow and partner with brands I never even thought I could. Uh, so really it's pivotal to have these types of people in your life, people who can speak your name in rooms that you're not in and really make things happen for you behind the scenes. And that happens by you building your reputation and putting in the work so people know that when they bring up your name, it's going to make them look good. Because that's really also important. You have to make that person look good and they have to trust that you will. <laughs> yeah, what's the value that they might get in return? Because their word and integrity are on the line too. So they want to look good too. And, and it sounds like you had a good team of people fighting for you in your corner and wanted to see you win and succeed. And that's so important. Yeah. Uh, so I echo that. And, you know, I'm thinking about asking Ranisha as my uh, little mentor for interviewing right now, since I'm new to this, what are like three maybe tips or what are the things that you should absolutely not do in an interview or when you're in media that, are like your go-to hacks or tricks or tips for like, <laughs> should you not hold your hands a certain way? Should you not look in a certain direction with your eyes? Is there any hacks that you can give me or tips or tricks as new into the journalist game? It's, it's funny because to me, I do this with, I do the interview stuff without realizing it. My friends always tell me, stop interviewing me whenever I'm having conversations. <laughs> But some basic stuff um, that I think a lot of people overlook is just the importance of research. That research part is so important. And what I like to do is people who are in the media a lot get asked the same questions all the time. So what I like to do is actually look at those interviews and look at their responses. And instead of asking that kind of similar same question, I'll ask a follow-up question from one of their responses to a past interview. So when I'm delivering the interview, what I'll do is I'll mention that I read it, read it where I read it, what their response was, sort of summarize it, and then ask the follow-up question. And it's good to do something like that early on because if it's someone you don't know, it will just show them early on that you did the work and that allows them to trust you a little bit more and open up and share something that they probably didn't share with anyone else. So 
really it's just about being human and, and understanding where that person on the other side of the table is coming from, what type of day they had, and what their experience and relationship is with journalists, because sometimes people don't have positive relationships with that. So I try to counter that. Um, and just really at the, at the beginning, just making them feel as comfortable as you can by saying, if you're recording, saying that you're recording them. And if you're taking notes, let them know, like I might break eye contact with you a little bit to take mm -hmm. down some notes because I want this conversation to be conveyed in the most accurate way possible. And when you say something like that, then they're sympathetic to, okay, he's taking notes because this needs to be accurate. Accurate. He's not yes. going to quote me. Yes. Good. Oh, did I get the Ranisha stamp of approval? You did. You <laughs> kept the conversation going. I wanted to, to go on a tangent once or twice, but you cut that off and just went on to the next question, Perfect. which is something that's important too, to keeping time and being sort of like a moderator in the conversation and not getting lost or letting the person go off on a bunch of different tangents. Well, speaking of timing, this is perfect timing to segue into the conclusion, which is something I like to call the under 30 seconds round, or I'm going to fire off some questions, just answer with the first one that comes to mind. You ready? Okay. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? It is Eliza Litt's book, Leave Your Mark, and it's because it's a really um, detailed career guide for women specifically, and I give it to all my interns. Boom. There you go. What's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Uh, the best investments I've made is in my team. I have a small team, but they get a lot done. Um, the worst investments I've made is in some past web designers that I've hired and, and developers. It's very hard to find a good developer. So I've went through some horrible experiences. I think we can all empathize with that. And uh, I, I recommend angel.co for uh, finding good good team of developers. Mm. Um, they're all like people that want to work for startups and it's really helped. Three, what's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine, Ranisha, and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? The most impactful thing I do in my morning routine is gratitude. I write down three things that I'm grateful for every morning. And the most impactful thing I do in the evening is yoga and wine. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, been a common theme with uh, COVID happening too. Yoga and wine pairing together at night. Second to last one, pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. What's the very first thing you do to start your new business? I would buy a building and create my headquarters there and have the bottom be a community co-working event space. Boom. There you go. We <laughs> might see uh, this come to fruition soon. Maybe, um, maybe that's your next chapter. What's yeah. something you never knew you needed? What? These questions, man. And I know you, I know like you shared them with me, but it's hitting me in a different way in the interview. Uh, something I didn't know that I needed. I would say something I didn't know I needed was discipline and that what and to, and the understanding that 
what motivated me when I first started wouldn't motivate me now. I've been doing what I've been doing for a very long time, 12 years running this company, um, over 12 years being a journalist. And I've sort of had a aha moment maybe a couple years ago that, okay, I need to find something new that's going to motivate me to continue to do this work because it's not the same as when I would wake up and just like jump to my computer. Now I'm like, sometimes I'm, I'm not wanting to open my computer to be honest. So passion and, and that's only going to take you so far. So I've had to really work on developing discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I didn't think that I would have to do. I always thought passion would take me through passionate. I built this, but it really is about discipline. I love that. And it's like when you climb Mount Everest, you get to the top, you're not done. You, what happens is you see, oh, I want to climb that mountain next. I want to climb that mountain next. And so it's picking these new goals to work toward. So your passion does continue and it's, it's ever changing. It keeps it fun. It keeps it exciting. It keeps it, your enthusiasm going, your energy going, because it can get boring and monotonous over time. And, and I've learned that progress equals happiness. And so you need to keep changing your goals and looking for something new. And I think it's why Zuckerberg picks one goal per year and just works on a new goal every year. Uh, it's pretty cool. Well, Ranisha, thank you so much. What's that? I said, I need you to be my mentor now. You have all these nuggets. Sign me up. <laughs> well, Ranisha, thank you so much for being here today. Before you go, what's next for you? What's the next big goal, milestone, or bucket list item you want to achieve? My next big goal is writing a book. Wish me luck. We'll see. Maybe next time we talk, I'll be able to talk about this book. Oh, I love it. We're already scheduling episode number two with Ranisha. (laughs) All right. This is awesome. And where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Um, You can reach me. I have a personal website, ranisha.com, where it has all the ways to reach me. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Definitely reach out. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. Please go connect with Ranisha. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Ranisha Bing with Her Agenda, who empowers millennial women. We learned so much today. We learned how to negotiate your starting salary, how important it is, how to hustle your way into MTV's TRL (laughs) in Brooklyn, New York. And we also learned the importance of mentors and having an inner circle, whether it's coaches, advisors, people that are fighting for you in your corner. Ranisha, thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.